ബിസ്മില്ലാഹിർറഹ്മാനിർറഹീം അൽഹംദുലില്ലാഹി റബ്ബിൽ ആലമീൻ വൽ ആഖിബതു ലിൽ മുത്തഖീൻ വസ്സലാത്തു വസ്സലാമു അലാ റസൂലിഹിൽ കരീം വ അലാ ആലിഹി വസഹ്ബിഹി അജ്മഈൻ വ മൻ തബിഅഹും ബിഇഹ്സാന ഇലാ യൗമിദ്ദീൻ അമ്മാ ബാദ ഫഖദ ഖാലല്ലാഹു സുബ്ഹാനഹു വ തആല ഫവൈലുൽ ലിൽ മുസല്ലീൻ അല്ലദീനഹും അല്ലദീനഹും അൻ സ്വലാതിഹിം സാഹൂൻ വ ഖാല തആല വ ഇദാ ഖാമു ഇലാ സ്വലാതി ഖാമു കുസാല وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم جعل القره قره عيني في الصلاه صدق الله العظيم وصدق رسوله الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين respected brothers and elders and friends and sisters of islam السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله the seminar of this month the topic as you could see on the screen is the inner dimensions of salah so just as a disclaimer from the beginning we will not be discussing fiqh issues we will not be discussing the procedure of the different fiqhs and different imams and what is correct what is not correct we could save that for a different day inshallah but today we just want to discuss that how should a person connect with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his salah as muslims we have this iman we have this belief that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for a particular purpose and the purpose of mankind allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly mentions in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa ma khalaqtu al-jinna wal-insa illa liya'budun i have not created mankind and the jinn race except and only for my worship So the purpose of our existence the purpose that we have come to this world it is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are many different forms of how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the five pillars as Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that buniyal islam ala khams that islam's foundation is upon five pillars is upon five pillars the first one being the statement the testimony we say la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah that we testify that there is no god besides allah and nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the messenger and the slave of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then besides these the other four are actually ibadat that you and i do first and foremost of them is as-salah as-salah then fasting in the month of ramadan discharging the zakat and the fourth the fourth action that is mandatory upon all muslims is to perform hajj if he has the ability to do so and if anyone denies any of these that i don't believe this is fard i don't believe this is necessary then a person cannot be called a muslim that's how strong our belief in these things are but the first and foremost is the ibadah of salah what is salah why is there salah what's the purpose of salah Subhanallah we have to understand the concept of salah unfortunately due to our shortcomings and being busy and engrossed in this world we have made salah into a chore a duty that needs to be discharged a chore that we have to do and it becomes a burden upon us subhanallah and that's because we have not understand what salah is for us First of all we need to realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ghani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is independent 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is samad, as samad, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being that everyone is dependent upon Allah. Everyone is dependent upon Allah and Allah is independent from all beings. So Allah is samad. And in the narration of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam beautifully portrays this meaning that if the entire insan race, mankind, and if the entire jinn race, if they were to become the worst of the people, become the worst of the people in disobedience, this will not bring down the, the status and the grandeur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a bit. Allah is Bainiyaz, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is independent. And also, if the entire mankind and the entire jinn race were to become the best of the people, the most pious of the people, this will not increase the grandeur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a bit. Allah does not need anyone. Allah is not affected by anyone. So the salah that we pray or we do not pray, Allah is not affected by it. When narration Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that on the trip to Mi'raj when he was called up by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he saw the different wonders of the heavens, he saw one place which is called Baytul Ma'mur. Just how in this world we have what the Ka'batullah, we have the house of Allah, which the entire Muslim ummah, they strive to go and visit. And when they go, they go around the Kaaba and they circle around the Kaaba to do tawaf around the Kaaba. Similarly, for the heavens, there is a Kaaba as well. For the heavens, there is a house as well, which is called Baytul Ma'mur. So just how we circle around the Kaaba of this world, the angels in the sky, they circle around the Kaaba of Baytul Ma'mur. But the point I'm trying to make across in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said that the Baytul Ma'mur said that every single day 70,000 angels are making tawaf of that. But once an angel does tawaf, he will never get a chance to make tawaf again until the day of Qiyamah. How many angels are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? There are angels that are completely, permanently in sujood. Some angels are permanently in ruku. Some angels are permanently in qiyam. Some are engaged in tilawa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has these great creations that are continuously, without even any type of hindrance or any type of error, they're always fulfilling the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why is it that we have been commanded to pray salah? All the other commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send down Jibreel alayhi salam, which is the archangel, the head of all the angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through Jibreel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down revelation and give commandments to the ummah, that this is due upon the ummah, this, must, this is necessary and this is forbidden. But when it came to give this ummah salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not send it through Jibreel alayhi salam. said, go give my nabi and give the ummah the message of salah. No. For that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had called Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa to the heavens. And the trip of Mi'raj took place. The value of salah is, so, is such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called his beloved Nabi to the heavens and gave the salah as a gift. So this salah is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you and I. It is, as we say, tuhfa, a gift Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to us, a means for us to communicate. And as the pious say, the as-salatu mi'araj al-mu'min, this is not a hadith. But the message is true, that how Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did mi'araj and communicated with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through salah, each and every believer has the opportunity to communicate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and engage in a dialogue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So the importance of salah is extremely huge, that if there's no salah, there is no deen. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in many different narrations with different wording, said the thing that separates a believer from a non-believer is salah. The thing that separates a believer from a non-believer is salah. So much so that according to some of the imams of fiqh, according to their madhab, is that if someone leaves out salat purposely, he loses his iman. This is not the view of Imam Abu Hanifa, but the other imams, they said if a person, amadan, purposely, he knows his farad, but due to laziness, he said that next time, I'll play it later. If he does it purposely, he loses his iman. He is no longer Muslim, he has to recite the kalima again. Such gravity is this salah, that it is a gift as well, but it is so important to us, the foundation of deen lies on salah. There was a time when a Muslim would not dare to miss salah. So much so that in the time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa the sahaba narrate that even the munafiq, those that were known to be open hypocrites. And what is a hypocrite? That he just shows that he's a Muslim, but from inside he's not a Muslim. He doesn't believe in Allah, he doesn't believe in the message of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa But he just apparently becomes a Muslim to win the favors of the Muslims and to live in society without being harmed. So they just, they just express their iman. And that's all. But from inside, they're disbelievers. But even the, even the munafiqun, they would not dare miss the salah. Because they know that this is the distinguishing factor between a, a believer and a disbeliever. If I don't pray, then people will know definitely I'm a disbeliever. So they would also strive to make sure they are present for the jama'at and pray the salah. So to respect to brother Allah, salah is very grave. But at the same time, we make it like it's a burden upon us. Because why? We do not know what we are achieving in Salah, what we receive in Salah. So what happens, as one of my teachers would explain, that our Salah has become like the pecking of a chicken. That we just go down, come up, go down, come up. You said up and down, kiss the ground and back to town, you know, back to work. That's how our Salah is. That we don't feel it. Day in, day out, we're praying Salah, we're praying Jummah. You know, we're going to the Masjid, we're going to program. But why is it that we don't feel it? We don't feel we're getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's Salah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to communicate with us, but we, pray, we say Allahu Akbar, and by the time we say Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah, we had no idea what happened in Salah. What the Imam recited, which rakat we're in, we're totally oblivious. There is a concern that we must have, that how is it possible that I perform five times Salah, but my Salah is not bringing me closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every salah should bring us more closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is it such that I'm praying salah, but my heart is not affected? I'm praying salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inna salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar. That I am performing salah, but the salah is not preventing me from sinning. It's not preventing me from disobedience. And the reason behind this is we have not understood salah. We have not understood what salah is, how important salah is, and how we should think about salah. So again, we will not be discussing any fiqh related issues. So if you have any questions regarding that, inshallah, keep it, inshallah, hold on to it. We'll have a different seminar regarding different fiqhs of salah and what the various imams have to say and the dalail and the proofs for each imam. We could discuss that inshallah on, on a different day. But today we're just going to talk about the inner dimension, the heart. No matter how you pray salah, whether you do rafa'idain before and after ruku or you don't do it. Okay? Whether you tie your hands below the navel or above the navel. Whether you move the tashahud in the finger once or you keep moving it. Regardless of that, what should your mind be? How should your heart be in this? 
This is universal. And this we all have to strive. Because we all, at the end of the day, we are the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to show this servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is something that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa emphasized so much that he said that when a child becomes seven years old, then teach him how to pray salah. Command him to pray salah. And if he does not do it by the age of 10, then you have the permission to reprimand him. Physically, but lightly, you're not allowed to hit him too hard, but very lightly, just to make him realize that this is something important that I have to do. Because why? As soon as he becomes baligh, as soon as he becomes mature, Islamically, he becomes an adult Islamically, then the five-time salah becomes due upon him. So he must be used to this concept of salah before he becomes baligh, before he becomes mature. Unfortunately, this is lost in the Ummah. This is lost in the Ummah. And that's why the awe of the Ummah, the grandeur of the Ummah, that how the other religions, they respected Islam, they respected the Muslim, that has left the world. Because why? We have not fulfilled the first and foremost command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when a person performs Salah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the coolness of my eyes is in Salah. So what does a coolness mean? We don't understand this concept of coolness. A coolness is that as soon as you see someone, you find peace in the heart. As soon as you see the thing that causes coolness, your, all your worries go away. All your tension goes away. Your depression goes away. Now you have this, this coolness, this peaceness in your heart. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say that in Salah, this kafiya, this condition of peace, this condition of no worries, this condition that I am now peace with myself, that I would find it in salah. And that's where you find Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, subhanallah, let us open the seerah and let us study the life of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not just his seerah as from what he did, but how his character was and how his connection with Allah was. We miss that part of the seerah. We always study the campaigns and the different battles that take place. Especially when you study the Medina life on Rasulullah Sallallahu that's all we study, right? When you study the Medina life, all we study is other campaigns. But we miss the character of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his connection with Allah. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was crying after Salah and making dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And he was crying profusely. The wife of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hazrat Aisha, she became worried and she tried to console him. said, you are the Nabi of Allah. You are the Prophet of Allah. Your sins before and future all have been forgiven. You are ma'asum. Why are you then tolling yourself so much? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, should I not be a grateful servant of Allah? Means I'm not doing this because I'm worried about sins. I'm doing this because I'm a slave of Allah. This is my job. I have to show my servitude to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Many narrations, narrations upon narrations. It shows that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would stand in the nightly prayer. Tahajjud was mandatory upon Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But he would not just finish it quickly, but he would stand to such an extent that his feet would swell up. SubhanAllah, when's the last time we stood in Salah that our feet swell up? But this was a daily occurrence for Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because why? When he's in Salah, he's at peace. He doesn't realize the pain, the bodily pain. But he's in communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they would hasten towards salah. And the different books of history, when you see the Sahaba had this kafi as well, then when the adhan would be called, their face would change. And they would drop whatever they're doing and hasten to salah. Why? Because my Lord is calling me. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And hayya ala salah. Come towards salah. He said, my Lord is calling me. Khalas. I have to drop everything. So whatever work we're doing, in the middle they will stop and they would turn towards the masjid.
and go towards the masjid because they understood the importance of salah. So salah is just as important to us. And we're not praying the salah because it is a duty. It is a chore. Or it's something that we have to do by force. We don't have an option. No. We have to pray salah because we want to pray salah. We look forward to salah. This is something that is a need of ours. Something a need of ours. We're not doing a favor upon anyone. But by praying salah, the favor is done upon us. That we have, given, we have been given the opportunity to pray salah. So there are many aspects of salah that we must keep in mind. So the first and foremost is that salah, before you go salah, there are some prerequisites. And the first and foremost is purity. That the wudu that we pray, we do not realize this wudu is the key to our salah. So the, the way we perform our wudu, we think it's just to wash our hands, our face, make masa of the head and wash our feet. And we think it's just to remove the dirt because we've been busy in the world, we've been outside. So now we have to remove some dirt and be clean. That's one aspect. But the deeper aspect is a person is cleaning his soul. The spiritual cleanliness that happens with wudu. So that's why even if a person, he is extremely clean, he just came out the shower, let's say, and he happens to break his wudu. So physically, he's very clean, right? Physically, there is no dirt on him. He just came out the shower, but he happens to break the wudu. Now he has to perform wudu. Why is he performing wudu now? What's the reason that he's performing wudu? Is it to remove any dirt from him? No, he's in a spiritual state of impurity. He's in a, a state of impurity, and to come out of that state of impurity, he performs these commands that Allah has given. That Allah mentioned in the Quran. To fulfill that, he performs wudu now to come in a state of purity. So it's more to do with your inner self, your ruh, your soul, than to do with your body. So when a person performs wudu, he must realize that why am I doing wudu? The, and as the ulama explained, that one of the main reasons why people cannot concentrate in salah is because they did not concentrate in the wudu. They did not take care of the manner that they perform wudu, and because they were mindless, they were heedless in the wudu, that same thought carries on in the salah. And they don't have any type of concentration in salah. So for the first step to concentrate in salah, to have enjoyment in salah, is to perfect your wudu. Now there are some parts in wudu that are necessary. As Allah mentions in the Quran, that when you stand up for salah, to establish salah, first wash your face. So you have to wash your entire face. Then Allah says, wash your hands up to your elbows. Then wipe your forehead, wipe your head and wash your feet. So these four things are mentioned in the Quran. Since they are mentioned in the Quran, we will say these four things are farad. They are necessary. If even a portion of these four things are left out, his wudu is incomplete. Because this is the command from the Quran. But there are other things Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned in the narrations. That when a person does wudu, that he should gargle his mouth. He should rinse his nose. He should do it three times. Right? All those things are sunnah. So what we tend to understand, and I gave a lecture on this before as well, that sometimes knowledge becomes a barrier for a person's, for a person's action. That the more he knows, the more he becomes lazy, and the less he starts practicing. So he knows, oh, I didn't know that washing the mouth was farad, is not farad, or washing the nose is not farad, so I don't have to do it. So that means I don't have to do it, so I'm just going to wash my face. Now that knowledge, instead of becoming nur, instead of becoming a light, it became what? A darkness for him. 
right? So certain knowledge, if a person has the wrong intention, instead of bringing him closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it takes him farther from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why beautifully, Hazrat Ali and also Hassan Basri, they relate this, that man ilman wa lam yazdad hudan, lam yazdad min Allahi illa bu'ida. Whoever increases in knowledge, he's increasing, he's studying, he's studying the various books of Islam, the tafsir, the narrations, he's going to halqa, right? He's getting all this information. Whoever increases in knowledge, but he is not increasing in guidance. He's not coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That knowledge does not force him to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then they say, He has not increased except that he's gone farther from Allah. So that knowledge became a means of what? Him going farther from Allah. So these sunnahs are not optional that we just leave out. But we should be like, it's a sunnah, we have to practice. So the faraith of wudu, concentrate. The sunnah of wudu, concentrate. Do not waste water. So much so that the pious predecessors, they said that while doing wudu, concentrate on certain du'as. These du'as are not sunnah. Nabi Sallallahu did not prescribe these du'as. But these du'as are just permissible. For example, if a person, he is washing his face, he should make du'a, oh Allah, brighten my face on the day of Qiyamah. Oh Allah, Brighten my face on the day of Qiyamah. On that day, the faces will be brightened and the faces will be darkened. And when he washes his mouth, he says, oh Allah, give me the ability to make the laut of the Qur'an. When he rinses his nose, oh Allah, make me smell the fragrance of Jannah. When he's washing his arms, oh Allah, grant me the book of deed in my right hand. When he washes his left hand, oh Allah, do not grant it to me on my left hand. And when he makes muscle of the head and the neck, oh Allah, save my neck on the day from the fire of hell. When he washes his feet, oh Allah, make this feet go towards Jannah and do not let it slip on the day when feet will sleep. So imagine a person when he does wudu and he's concentrating on this. He's taking his time, he's concentrating, oh Allah, grant me the book of my right hand. Do not grab into my, do not grant to my left hand. Imagine what his concern is now. He's thinking about the akhirah. He's thinking about the hereafter. He's thinking not about the world. He's not thinking about his business, how much profit he made, or how much homework he has, or what conversation he had with his parents at home. No. His concern, now he's getting into the thought of the hereafter. Now with the same thought, if he were to start his salah, imagine how much more concentration he's gonna have. So the first and foremost, the first step is to concentrate on the du'as and concentrate when a person does du'a, when a person does wudu. Can you go back two slides? So purity is a condition for the validity of prayer. And it's, just, it's not just a physical, but it's, it's a spiritual act. And a person must prepare. So after you're done with wudu, you're going to salah. You have to prepare as if you're going to meet the greatest being in the, in the universe. You're going to meet not just the king or president of this world, but the king of all kings. Malikul Muluk, Jabbar. You're going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Communicate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what type of mindset should you prepare before even going to the masjid? Stepping inside the masjid. In today's time, if we knew that we had a meeting with the senator or the governor of our town, not the president, just our locality, if you knew that we had a meeting with them, we'll, we'll make sure that we are dressed properly. We'll make sure that we don't have any foul smell in our mouth, that we look tidy, we you know, get a thought process in order, what are we going to say, we're going to make sure we're not saying anything rude. So we prepare ourselves physically and mentally. Because why? We know that this is an important meeting. I cannot let this meeting slip up. 
I cannot mess up. So a person what? He mentally, he concentrates, and he prepares for the occasion. He prepares for the occasion. So if so much preparation is done just to meet another makhluk, just to meet another human being whom the worldly people have given him some status, has given him some position, we prepare ourselves so much just to meet that individual. How much should we prepare ourselves to meet the khaliq of all these individuals? How much should we prepare to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How should our clothes be then? How should our mindset be then? How should our, the scent in our body or scent in our mouth, how should it be then? So from the world examples that take it and bring it to that we need to prepare for this occasion. So how to concentrate in salah? Just some basic usul, some basic principles. That concentration in salah does not mean a person must be lost in salah. This is a very big misconception. People think that no, concentrating salah means I must be totally oblivious of what's going around me. And I must be lost, I must be in a different world, in a different dimension. You know, that I must not know what's going on my right, what's going on my left. No, that is not the meaning of concentration. Concentration means that whatever action that you're doing, you know what you're doing. If it's a compulsory act, you know that this is a compulsory act. If it's Surah Fatiha, you realize this is a Surah Fatiha, this is the Kalam of Allah, this is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I am reciting the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it's Quran, then you concentrate on the meaning of it. If you're in the first rakat, you know that you're in the first rakat. If it's a Sunnah act, you know this is a Sunnah act. This is the meaning of concentration. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah has not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made anything obligatory that is beyond the capability, that is beyond capacity. Means that it is not, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to make something ordained upon us which is not in our capability to do. Now it is not possible for a person to be totally lost of his surrounding. It is not possible for a person to be totally in a different world. He needs to know what's going around him. So something that is very seldomly possible are a few individuals. But not by the majority, Allah will not make that ordain upon us. But what is ordained? That what is possible. So it is possible for you to know which action you're in. It is possible for you to know what you're reciting. It is possible to know whether in the first rakat or second rakat or, third, or, or the third rakat. So that is possible and this is what you call concentration that you are 100% aware of the salah. That is concentration, to be 100% aware of salah. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, regarding the Christian monks, when they exerted themselves beyond what was required, and they abstained from the world, and then went into the mountains and into the caves, and did not marry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That for as far as monasticism, that it was invented by them. This solitude they did, this was not ordained by Allah, because this is unnatural. This is unnatural. We did not ordain them upon them. Means something that is not in the capability of mankind, Allah does not make us do that. So this concept that I must pray salah, that I'm totally gone from this world. This is not something that Allah has not ordained upon us. Next slide. So from this, a person performs salah, let's say the entire night. And he is lost in his salah. He is, mashallah, enjoying the qiraat. He is enjoying the ruku and sazda. But he realized he didn't have wudu. He was not aware that he didn't have wudu. Will he get reward for the salah? Did he perform salah? Everyone say that that salah does not count. That salah is void. 
So again, the purpose is what? To know what is required from you and what you're supposed to do. That is important. To know that I have to be in the state of wudu. To know that I have to stand right now. I have to be in ruku right now. To know all this, this is what you call concentration. Not to be lost. At times you could not have wudu and you could be totally lost. But that's not salah. So that's not the definition of salah. And the salah of the Prophet wasallam, as it comes in Bukhari Sharif, <coughs> that they mentioned the Hazrat Anas bin Malik, radiallahu anhu said that I have not performed a more concise but more complete salah behind anyone than Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But if he heard the cry of a child, he would make his salah concise. He would shorten his salah. What does that tell us? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not lost in salah. He didn't know what was going around him. He was aware. If he heard the cry of a child, he would shorten his salah, not to give undue difficulty to the mother. Because if the mother is also praying, then she, her mind is going to be in the child. So from this hadith, what would you realize? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his salah was the most perfect of the salah. We could never say our salah is better than the Prophet. The most perfect of the salah was Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The most marifat of Allah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had. Every injunction of salah, he did it perfectly. But he was aware. He was aware and awake of what is going around. That if he is praying salah, he is leading the salah, and a child cries in salah, he recognizes that. And he says, no, I have to shorten my salah. And he would shorten his salah. So that's another proof that to be lost in salah is not a requirement. So how do we concentrate on salah? Number one is know exactly what is farad in salah, what is wajib in salah, what is sunnah, and what is mustahab. Know all the different acts. And for this, we need to have knowledge. That's why it is extremely important that we actually take these courses that the various masajids, including Darus Salaam, that they offer to the young, to the old. They have weekend classes, and hopefully in the future we have also the evening classes. We need to learn that what is farad in salah, what is mandatory wajib in salah, what is sunnah in salah, and what is nafil in salah. Unfortunately, we don't have this knowledge. But if we ask our kids today, if we ask the youth today, that what is the way to beat this video game? What are some cheat codes for this? And they'll tell you right away. If you tell them that how do I do this on the computer or on the internet, they'll be able to give the answer right away. We will not be able to hold a controller, how many different buttons are on there, every single finger you have to use, right? But you ask a 12-year-old child, 14-year-old child, and they'll know how to handle that. Because why? They're trained in that. They actually sat down and spent time on that. Now it becomes second nature for them. They're pressing the buttons without even thinking about it, right? Because why? They spend time and effort behind that. But have our children, or have us ourselves, spend time to learn about salah? That what is necessary in salah? What breaks my salah if I don't do it? What does not break it, but it becomes necessary just to repeat it? What is something that is, will give me more reward in salah? Or something that is just mustahab? What are these different categories? When is the last time we actually sat down and studied this and tested each other on this? When is the last time we tested each other that we know exactly what our salah is? Five times daily salah we pray. From the time we're 13, 12 and 13 years old to the age of 50, 55, 60. How many salahs have we prayed in our life? Hundreds, thousands of salah. So this is a daily thing and it's a shame upon us. Now no one has to point fingers upon anyone. We have to look at ourselves. We have to introspect. That how much of my salah do I realize? So first of all, the first step is that know what is farad, wajib, sunnah, and mustahab in salah. And while doing it, concentrate that this is farad. This is wajib. This is sunnah. This is mustahab. 
Number two, while standing, focus your eyes on the prescribed places. Your eyesight, if you move it in salah, your salah doesn't break. If a person prays salah and he happens to look at the sky, look down, look side to side, his salah will not break. But his concentration is not there. So the way to concentrate in the salah, one of the main ways is to make sure your, your gazes are not all over the place. So when you're standing up in qiyam and reciting, then look at the place where the sajda is supposed to be and concentrate on that place. If you're in rukur and you're bowing, look at the place where your feet are and look at your feet. If you're in sajda, look, look, at, the, look at the edge of your nose. And if you're sitting position, then look in your lap. Controlling the gazes is one of the main ways to concentrate in salah. And if a person, if he can achieve this, if he can achieve concentration, just his gaze, he'll straighten out so much of his life that's outside of salah. If a person is in salah, in front of Allah, in the state of taharat and wudu, he cannot control his eyesight. What guarantee does he have that he's going to control his eyesight when he's outside of salah? What guarantee does he have that he's going to be able to control it when something haram comes in front of him? He's not in salah. He's out in the world. The whole world is calling him. So that's why we have to practice in salah. If a person practices controlling his gaze in salah, inshallah, it will help him control his gazes outside of salah. And when he makes salam, he should look at the shoulders. So starting the salah, when a person goes and he approaches salah, what is the first thing that a person has to do? Number one is face the qibla. And the qibla is that part where the Kaabatullah is, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And according to various narration, this is the first piece of land that came out of the water. The first piece of land, there was a bubble that came out of the water, and the ground emerged from there. That's why this is called the navel of the earth. This is called Ummul Qura, the mother of all cities. The mother of all cities. So Kaaba, the word Kaab in the Arabic language means to protrude. So this was the first piece of land that protrude out of the water. That's why it's called the Kaaba. And first person was Adam al-Islam. He built the Kaaba. Then it was destroyed. And then Ibrahim al-Islam rebuilt it as well. Then time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa And even later day on, it was rebuilt many times. So something that protruded is called Kaaba. So this is the center point. This is the center where the world came out. With the land spread out. So this is the mother of all cities. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it very mubarak. Very blessed. So when a person stands up, he first faces the Qibla. He makes sure that the time of salah is in. If, if, if people could please come forward, there's many people still coming in the back. So there's a request from you know, volunteers that please tell people to come up. So a person, the time of salah, he has to make sure that he is in the correct time. Now it is not permissible for any reason for a person to delay the salah. Many people say, oh, I'm busy with work. So I'll come home and I'll pray all my salahs together. Salah is farad. To earn a livelihood is also farad. But Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said that to earn a livelihood is faridatun ba'd al-faridah. It's farad, but after the other obligations of Islam first. So salah, no matter what situation we're in, no matter what area we're in, yes, if it's an extreme need, the person is tied down, the person is not able to do it, or because of security reasons, he's not able to perform at that time, or there is no water or tayammum, there's no sand that you can make tayammum on, then if he delays it, he might be excused. But just for petty reasons that I'll just pray it later, that is not permissible and that is extremely offensive in Islam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi in the various nation has warned the ummah for those people that not miss salah, but delay it. They actually pray it. 
But they just delayed. There's warnings regarding those people as well. So we have to make sure that we prayed within the time. And then we have to have intention. What is intention? Intention, what we have been taught when going over, they say that I'm praying two rakah salah for Fajr, facing the Qibla, Wasti Allah ke, Mumera Qibla ki taraf. You know the long niyat that have been taught when we were young, right? Niyat is actually of the heart. Niyat is, is amalul qalb, it's from the heart, not lips. If you're using the lips to make it stronger or to concentrate, fair and well, that's okay. But it's not an action of the tongue. It has to be from the heart. So in your heart, you have to realize which salah are you praying. But one is that you pray that, okay, I'm praying my two rakat fajr salah. One is that intention. And one is the intention that I'm standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One is that intention that I am standing in the state of Iman as a firm believer that there is no God besides Allah. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. In that state, I am standing now before Allah. And I'm going to stand before Allah and Allah is watching me. That's another type of niyyah. There are different levels of niyyah. There's different levels of concentration, right? So one is the niyyah that's just the bare minimum. So what's the bare minimum? Bare minimum, you should know which salah you're praying. That's the bare minimum. But we don't suffice on the bare minimum in the world, right? We always want the best. So even a niyyah should be the best as well. That I, as a true servant in the state of Iman, I am standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the thought that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in the famous hadith of Jibreel, when Jibreel al-Islam came down in the form of a human being and he asked him a few questions. One of the questions, he said, Mal ihsan, what is ihsan? And he said, An this is in Sahih Muslim, that when Jibreel alayhi salam, he asked Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam, that, O oh, Nabi of Allah, what is Ihsan? What is the definition of Ihsan? What does Ihsan mean? Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam, that you worship Allah. As if you are seeing Allah. With that condition, with that mindset, with that feeling, you stand before Allah. And if that is too difficult, because a person cannot see Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not limited to boundaries, then know verily Allah is watching you. So if every single time a person comes to the musalla and before he says Allahu Akbar, he has a thought that I'm standing before Allah and Allah is watching me right now. Right then and there his condition of salah will change a hundred percent. It will increase many folds the concentration. So Nabi Sallallahu did not say that you do other acts. It's Allah that you, you do Allah go back, that as if you are seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So every time we go and we're about to start the salah, do not just say two rakat of fajr, Allahu Akbar. No. Think, pause, take some time. This is an ibadah, this is not a chore. This is not some duty we're going to just, you know, push off to the side. Take your time. Stand, concentrate, remove all the thoughts from your mind. All of the thoughts, masib Allah, remove that all out of your mind. And then think that I am standing before Allah. And for a moment think that there's no one around you. <coughs> for a moment think that there's no one, there's no human beings. There is no one. There's no sky, there's no ground, there's no mountains, there's nothing. It's just me and Allah. It's just me and Allah. And I'm standing alone before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With this niyyah, with this niyyah, now present yourself in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first thing you do is takbiru tahrima. And you say, Allahu Akbar. Now this is farad. This is necessary. If a person does not say this, his salah does not even begin. 
And this has to be verbally said. So much so that some sound must come out. If you say it in your mind, Salah has not started. You have not entered Salah yet. You're just standing there. So you have to verbally say it that some sound must come out. Even if you just move your lips but no sound comes out. That still doesn't count. So it must verbally be said, Allahu Akbar. But there are certain requirements. For example, you cannot stretch the Hamza in Allah. If a person says, Allahu Akbar, now those that know Arabic, they understand this is a grave sin. To stress the Hamza. Now if you say, Allahu Akbar, you're saying Allah is the greatest. But if you say, Allahu Akbar, you're asking a question, is Allah the greatest? SubhanAllah. Just by stretching out the Hamza, it becomes a question. You're saying, is Allah the greatest? So you're doubting whether Allah is the greatest or not. Imagine just by that one stretch where one meaning goes to the whole opposite direction. That one is you're saying Allah is the greatest, full yaqeen, full conviction that Allah is the greatest. And just a bit of a stretch, that whole conviction goes out. And it says, is Allah the greatest? So you have to make sure that you do not stretch the Hamza. Do not say Allahu Akbar. Say Allahu Akbar. And this is, this is a symbolic movement as well. That when a person is Allahu Akbar, he's throwing everything behind. Oh Allah, I left everything behind me. The, the whole world, my job, my car, my family, my responsibilities, everything I left behind me. I have nothing with me, no thought with me, no responsibilities with me. I'm only here just because of you. So you're throwing everything back. And you're also showing Allah SWT, look, I came, I, I came empty-handed. I have nothing with me. I'm a beggar. Just like, you know, if a cop, you know, in the old days when they tell someone, put your hands up, you raise your hands, right? You show that I have nothing in my hands. I'm innocent, right? So you're also raising your hands to Allah SWT, Allah, I have nothing with me. I'm showing you I'm a beggar. I'm showing you I'm in need of you. I'm not coming with any type of pride. I'm not coming with any type of possessions. I'm coming just for your sake. And with the greatness of Allah, you say, Allahu Akbar, and then you fold your hands. Again, there are different fix of how high you should raise it. Certain imams say you should raise it to the shoulders. Certain say you should raise it to the ears. They all have the dalais, they all have the narrations, and everyone is correct. Okay? So you raise your hands according to whichever way that you pray. And then you fold your hands. And then the first thing that you recite is thana. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabarak asmuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha wa ghayruk. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would commence his salah, he would recite, as soon as he would say, commence his salah, say Allahu Akbar, he would recite this. He would recite this dua. So the thana is the first thing. Now keep in mind, the word thana is not part of the dua. Many people, they say, Allahu Akbar, thana subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabarak. So the thana is the name of the dua. You don't say the word thana, okay? You start out with the subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa tabarak asmuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayrak. Next slide. So what does this mean, subhanallah? The first thing is saying, subhanakallahumma. Subhanakallahumma. The word subhan is glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with purity and you're purifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all faults, all defects that people have ascribed to Him. Subhanallah, that some people say Allah has a son, Al-Ayadu Billah. Subhanallah, Allah is free from that. Some say that Allah has a wife, Al-Ayadu Billah. Subhanallah, Allah is free from that. Some say that Allah is the kuffar of Makkah at the time of Nabi Wasallam. they would say the angels are the daughters of Allah. Al-Ayadu Billah, this cannot be. Allah is pure from all types of faults. Some say Allah has partners, they make shirk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Allah is free from all that. Some say Allah has limited powers. The kuffar at the time, they were come to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam with a decayed piece of bone and said, you're saying Allah will have the right, Allah will have the power to resurrect us on the day of Qiyamah? Allah is not going to be able to do that. So they would challenge Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they would limit the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you think subhan, you're purifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from every single type of defect that could come in your mind, every single type of limitation that could come in your mind, you're freeing Allah, subhanallah. Okay? Subhanakallahumma, oh Allah, Oh Allah, purity be for you. Purity be for you. Next slide. Wabihamdika. With your praise. With your praise. Wabihamdika. Watabarakasmuka. And blessed is your name. Subhanallah. So when you're saying this, now just imagine you're concentrating on this. You're saying, Subhanakallahumma. What thought of Allah is coming in your mind? The grandeur of Allah, how great Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. The might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you're praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all praise belongs to you Allah. Then you're saying your name Allah, just the name Allah. This is so blessed. This is so blessed that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Sahih Muslim, he said, لا تقوم حتى لا يقال في الأرض. Allah, Allah. The Qiyamah, the day of judgment will not occur until there's no one to say the word Allah. Allah. So this word Allah, Allah is so blessed that it's preventing Qiyamah from coming. That's how blessed this name is. It's just the recitation. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in this narration does not say that that person does more actions, salah. No, all he's doing is saying Allah, Allah. That's all he's saying. Just through the barakah of the name of Allah, Qiyamah will not come. And this is in Sahih Muslim. So that's how the entire universe, the solar system, the galaxies, everything we see, the system, this humongous system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intact and placed and running. Because why? Because of the barakat of the name of Allah. From this hadith also, just a side note, we also get proof that to, to make zikr of just Allah, 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 that's also permissible. Many people doubt that, oh, where do you get this to make zikr of Allah, Allah? That's not a complete sentence. You should say Allahu Akbar. So they tend to object. And from this hadith, you can say the person says what? Allah, Allah. He's making dhikr of Allah, Allah, and that is permissible as well. So the one who takes the blessed name of Allah, he becomes blessed. You take the name of Allah, you become the means for qiyamah not to come. So you become blessed now. So that's how blessed. Now think, وَتَبَارَكَسْمُكَ Oh Allah, your name is blessed. Oh Allah, your name is blessed. Next slide. وَلَا إِلَهَ غَيْرَكَ This is the essence of our deen. This is tawheed. La ilaha illallah wa la ilaha ghayruk. There is no deity besides you. There is no power besides you. There is no God besides you. No one could do anything besides you. You are the one who has the entire solar system, the entire universe. It is established because of you and is in your control. <coughs> so just by the beginning, Thana, how much your salah has increased, the value of your salah has increased, just by concentrating. Unfortunately, we don't take this into consideration. We say Allahu Akbar and we mumble through the whole thana. We say it as fast as we can. Sometimes we don't even say it. We say Allahu Akbar and we start Surah Fatiha right away. So just the thana itself, just a little bit of concentration on the meaning of it. A little bit of concentration, your mind goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and full concentration can be achieved. So assume that your heart is present in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you speak to Allah. That, oh Allah, glorify be you. Oh Allah, all praise be to you. Oh Allah, your name is blessed. Oh Allah, there is no deity besides you. Think about this meaning. Next slide. Then you say it, 
you seek refuge from shaitan to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before we present ourselves, before we present ourselves, sometimes there's some, you could say, these devils that come and prevent us from communicating with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. So as soon as you f finish your thana, then you say ta'awudh and you say a'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajeem. A very beautiful example this one scholar was giving. He said that many people, they adopt security in their houses, right? They adopt security and sometimes they adopt a dog as security. And this is permissible to use a dog as a security dog. You cannot keep it as a pet, but you could keep it as security. You could use it for hunting, you could use it for farming. For proper use, you can keep a dog as a security guard. Okay? So many people, they have dogs as security guards. So imagine someone, you want to meet your friend, but there's a dog in front of you. He's not allowing you to come close, and he's barking, and he's scaring you, and he's trying to push you away. So what's the best way to get rid of the dog? You call the owner, right? You call the owner, and the owner just comes out, points a finger, and the dog goes to the side, and he doesn't dare come back. So this is what we're doing. Shaitan is like a dog, okay? Shaitan, he's there to push us away. Don't come close to Salah. Don't concentrate on Salah. He wants to bark us away. So that's what Shaitan does, puts all these waswasas. So what do we do? Shaitan is created by Allah. He's a makhluk as well. You call upon Allah, Oh Allah, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. I seek refuge in you from the accursed Shaitan. Move the Shaitan away from me. Let me concentrate on Salah. Now, concentrate on this. That you're asking Allah to get rid of all the doubts and all the whispering of Shaitan while you're in Salah. But we don't concentrate. Concentrate on this and now pray. Next. Then you take the name of Allah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. I command in the name of Allah, the All Merciful and the Very Merciful. Inshallah, we'll discuss about Ar Rahman Rahim in Surah Fatiha. Then you start Surah Fatiha. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar Rahmanir Rahim. Maliki Yomiddin. Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in. Ihdina Sirat al Mustaqim. Sirat al Ladina and Amta Alihim. Ghayril Magdubi Alihim wa Dalin. This is the opening verses of the Quran. This is called Ummul Kitab, the mother of the Quran. Great virtue of this has come. Next slide. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that one time he was sitting with Jibreel alayhi salam and they heard a creaking noise. But only Jibreel Islam and Nabi sallallahu heard this noise. Jibreel looked up and said, Today has never been, today a gate has opened that has never been opened in the past. First time this gate has been opened and has never been previously opened. Then an angel descended through that gate and came to the Prophet and he said, Rejoice in the good news of two lights. You have been given two nur. You have been given two nur and that has been given to no such prophet before you. This is a gift that's been only for you. So this door has never been opened, it's been opened for the first time. And it's been given especially to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the two lights are Surah Fatiha and the concluding two verses of Surah Baqarah. The concluding two verses of Surah Baqarah. You will never recite a word from them without being given the blessings they contain. So this is a gift to us. This is a gift to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to us. Now we're reciting the same nur which descended to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, never been given to anyone else before. Now that same nur, now you have the honor of uttering with your mouth. You have the honor of speaking those. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Next slide. So first to say, Alhamdulillah. All praise is for Allah. In this world, we have many different types of praise. A man praises himself. This is the worst type, right? I am so and so. I am. The worst is I. 
this I we need to get rid of. I am nothing. Okay? So a person praising himself, I am so and so, I did this and I did that. And, okay? Another is a person praising another being, whether it be another human being or whether he's praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he's praising some other being. Number third, a person praises Allah. Okay? He praises Allah solely. And the fourth is Allah praising himself. Allah praises himself, said, I am the Lord. La ilaha illallah. So regardless of what type of praise you have in the world, eventually, at the end, it boils down to the greatness of Allah. When a person praises himself, what is he doing? That he's saying that he's so intelligent, or he's so powerful, or he's so famous, or he has so much status in society. But who gave him all that? Who gave him the brains? Who gave him the ability to think? Who gave him the power, the strength? That's all given by Allah. So even when he's praising himself, he doesn't realize that he's actually praising Allah. He might not recognize it, but in fact, the reality of the matter is that wherever any praise takes place in the world, it solely belongs to Allah. Eventually, it results in praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Alhamdu, that Alif Lam and Alhamdu is encompassing. It means every single type of praise is going out in anywhere in the world, from the beginning of mankind till the end. Whenever something or someone will be praised, it will be glorifying Allah and it will be praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So regardless of what it is, eventually all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there is something interesting when I was studying, preparing for this, that there's two different narrations. Now this is important why we need to take our knowledge from proper sources. Islam does not propagate or promote self-study. This has never been the case and will never be. And those that do self-study, they tend to happen to fall into blunders. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa took his knowledge from Allah. Sahaba took it from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa The followers took it from the Sahaba. And this is a chain. That a person is, so there's two different ahadith. Now if a person does not have the background understanding of the science of hadith, he's going to make blunders and he's going to reject one of the hadith. He says, I don't believe in one of the hadith then. So in one hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said that, إِذَا رَأَيْتُ If you see people praising you, they're praising you, take sand and throw it at his face. Take sand and throw it at his face. So over there, it seems like you should not praise other people. And if someone praises you, you should get angry and push him away, basically. You should shut him away. Don't let him continue. But another hadith, When a believer is praised, iman increases in his heart. So how do you reconcile between these two? So are you supposed to let the person continue praising you? Are you supposed to stop the person? What are you supposed to do? Which hadith do you take? So what people do is like, you know what, I'll just take whatever I want. Or whatever makes sense to me. Or they'll make some radical you know, interpretation. But the understanding of this is based upon the person who is being praised. Those that are weak, those that have, they, don't, they cannot control themselves. They're mubtadi'een in the path towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a fear that if they are being praised, they are actually going to start believing that they have this ability in them. They are actually going to think that, no, I am all that. I am great, I do have the power, and they'll forget that this was granted by Allah. So a person who is weak in his understanding, he should follow the first hadith, that he should not let people praise him. Why? Because he's afraid that if people start praising me, I'm going to lose my own control and I'm going to start getting pride in me. But a person who has tazkiyah done, you know, the person who has done tazkiyah of his heart, he has been successful. So when a person's heart has been purified, he makes effort in his heart, Whenever someone praises him right away in his heart, it doesn't affect him. Why? Because you know, he's not praising me, he's praising Allah. So the more someone praises him, he thinks about Allah more. 
And the more he thinks about the greatness of Allah, so his iman starts increasing Allah more and more. Both hadiths are sahih, both are correct in this place. So, whatever praise there may be, it leads to the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, then, alhamdu, we start out with all praise belongs to Allah. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Now we're being introduced. Who is Allah? Alhamdulillah. We said all praise to Allah. Who is Allah? Who is His being? Who is His master? Rabbil alameen. He is the Lord of the worlds. What is Rabb? Who is Rabb? Who is Allah? Allah is Rabb. Rabb is a creator. And not just a creator, but the owner as well. And not just the owner, but also the nourisher without any means. He creates without any means, without any raw material, without any need of anything else. He could create kun fayakun. That he says be and it becomes. But after creating, he's still the malik. He's still the owner. It still belongs to him. And not only that, he also nourishes that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after creating and owning it, he also looks after it. That's why the word murabbi, the word murabbi is what? A person who trains a person or looks after a person. And we use it in our lingo as well. You know, the word tarbiyah is also used. It comes from the same word. It comes from the word rabb, to look after. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he did not just create us, but he looks after us. Who is the being that lets our heart pump, lets our lungs breathe, lets our eyes move and see? Many people have eyes, but Allah did not put the nur in the eyes that they are not able to see. So who is that being? Allah did not just create us, but Allah looks after us. Not just every day, but every single moment, every single second. He is Amr Rabbi. So Alhamdulillah, Rabbil, not Rabbi only, Rabbil Alameen, not just me, not just my friends, my masjid, but the entire universe. What does Alam mean? So the word Alam, many of the commentators and linguistics, they said the word Alam comes from the word Alama, means a sign. And they further explain that anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that falls in the scope of Alam. So anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala falls on the Alam. So he is the Rabb of the entire, anything besides Allah, every single makhluk that you could think of. To the smallest to the smallest, to the greatest to the greatest, Allah is the Rabb of that. Take huge mountains, the solar system, universe, angels, Allah is the Rabb of that. To the minute to the minute detail, you could take a small ant, or even break it down and go into the cells, or break it down and go into the atom and how the atom moves. Allah is also the Rabb of that. Rabbil Alameen. So Allah is the Rabb of everything. Next. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Now you're reciting, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. They both come from the word Rahim, Rahamim. Mean that Raham, mercy. Unfortunately, many people that do not know Arabic, they think, oh, it's the same thing. Rahman, Rahim, both are the same. Na'udhu Billah, how can a person say that? That how can any letter or word be extra in the Quran? If you say that, that means Allah used the extra word and He did not need to use this. So there's some extra words. No, every single word is there for a purpose. You cannot move one letter around. Okay, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim have different meanings. Rahman is a special name of Allah, which has a more deeper meaning. And this is one of the rules of Arabic language, that when the more letters are involved, the meaning sometimes is more deeper as well. So Rahman has more letters than Rahim. Has more letters than Rahim. So Rahman fit dunya wal akhirah. That the mercy of Allah that shows in the world and in the hereafter. And Ar-Rahim fil akhirah lil mu'mineen. And Rahim is that special khas <coughs> mercy that is reserved for the believers in the hereafter. So Allah is Rahman, Allah is Rahim. 
Maliki Yawmiddin. He is the owner of the day of recurral. Allah is the owner of the day of judgment. Now, Allah did not use Qadi Yawmiddin. Allah did not use the word Qadi. He's a judge, that he's going to be a judge and decide who did wrong and who did right. No, he is Malik. He's the owner. And an owner has a right to do whatever he wishes. If you own something, that's yours. If you want to keep it, keep it. If you want to break it, break it. You're the owner. No one has a right to question you, right? And we have the understanding that if I own something, no one's going to tell me what to do. It's mine. So Allah is the owner of that day. Allah is not the judge of that day. He's the owner of that day. Yes, He will not do injustice. He will not do injustice. Meaning that if someone did good, Allah will definitely reward him. So no injustice because Allah is not zalim. Bil abid, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do injustice to his slaves. But Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if someone has sinned, Allah doesn't have to punish him. Allah can forgive him because he's the owner. So if someone came with shortcomings, someone came that he did not have enough virtues, he was full of sins. If Allah subhanahu wa mercy comes into being, Allah subhanahu wa has the ability to forgive the person. Allah does not have to punish him. But will that happen to you and I? We don't know. So we cannot take the chance. We still have to strive and come closer to Allah subhanahu wa So he's Maliki Yawmiddin. He is the owner of that day. And the owner has the liberty to do whatever he wishes. None can say. None have a say. Okay? That's why on that day, when the trumpet will be blown and Qiyam will come and everything will perish, Allah SWT himself will ask this question, لِمَنِ الْمُلْكُ الْيَوْمِ O people, in the world you would say that I am the owner of this, I am the owner of this, I have this, I have this car, I have this house. And you would boast about your value and your, your sustenance and what you own. But today, لِمَنِ الْمُلْكُ الْيَوْمِ Who is the owner of this day? No one will be able to answer. Total silence. And then Allah himself will say, لِلَّهِ الْوَاحِدِ الْقَحَارِ This day only belongs to Allah the Qahar. So with that thought, it's Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah is the day, is the owner of the day of judgment. Then we praised Allah, we recognized who Allah is. A very brief introduction to Allah. We said, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Right? These are all introduction to Allah. Now we're coming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and now we're saying that, Oh Allah, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَيْنُ Oh Allah, we recognize that you are the one. You are the owner. You are the Rabb of the Alameen. There's no one else that we could turn towards. There's no one else we could turn towards. We only worship you. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا Only you. Now over here is not نَعْبُدُكَ We worship you. No. نَعْبُدُكَ means we worship you. But it's possible we worship someone else. But إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا Only you. It's not possible for us to worship anyone else besides you. And only you we seek assistance and help. Now the second sentence we need to bring more into our lives. Definitely if someone asks us that who do we worship? Say, Allah. But when it comes for help, brother, can you help me out over here? Brother, can you do this for me? I'm not saying it's not permissible. It is permissible to take assistance from others. But eventually we come to a stage, we have to come to the level that we have full yaqeen on this. Oh Allah, I'm going to turn to you first. If I get sick, I'm not going to go to the doctor first. I'm going to go to the musalla first. If I have some financial problems, I'm going to go to the musalla first. Not to my brother who's going to give me a loan or to another individual who's going to know. So whenever we need help, first, and only you we seek help. So over here, when we recite these verses, concentrate on the rububiyah, 
concentrate on the word Rabb that I explained. That here the word Rabb should be reflected upon. So when you think about Rabb, Alam, how is it possible that I even think about or even entertain the thought of worshipping someone else or asking help from someone else? When everything belongs to Allah, everything's in the control of Allah, Allah's in charge of everything, how can I even think about asking help from someone else? So naturally and logically, one will come to the conclusion that all worship is for Allah. So what does worship mean? You humble yourself, you lower yourself. That Allah, bas, I am yours. So one completely, he lowers himself, his honor, for the person that is being worshipped, for the being that is being worshipped. Next. So over here we should remember the incident of Ibrahim al-Islam. When Ibrahim al-Islam was thrown in the fire, now he had full tawheed and full yaqeen on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So much yaqeen that this is impossible, that if today someone did this, we'll think he's crazy, send him to the mental hospital. But this is Ibrahim alayhi salam. So when Ibrahim alayhi salam, when Jibreel alayhi salam came and said, Assalamu alaykum ya Ibrahim, oh Ibrahim, salam on you. Jibreel alayhi salam is coming, okay? The angel, archangel. Today if an angel comes, salam, buzz, we're all happy, right? We are thinking that let me ask all my needs to this angel. He will fulfill everything for me, right? So that Jibreel alayhi salam is coming, that Ibrahim, Assalamu alaykum. He said, Ana Jibreel, I am Jibreel. Do you have any need? Alaka haja. Do you have any need? You're in the fire. Do you want me to help you out here over here? Is it called, Amma ilayka fala? From you? No. Allah. From you? I don't need help from you. But I have Allah. SubhanAllah, look at this. Look at this iman. Look at this tawheed. That the archangel is coming. And he's saying, do you need any help? And he said, from you? I don't need any help from you. Hajati ilallahi rabbi. My need is by Allah. My need is in front of Allah. I'm going to present it to Allah. He's going to take care of my need. So think about this incident of Ibrahim when he says, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Then we say, إِهْدِنَا السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Oh Allah, now we ask Allah. We said, oh Allah, we worship only you. And we seek only help from you. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And we say, إِهْدِنَا السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Take us on the straight path. Over here we are taught, Allah knows that you don't know what to ask. Oh people, you don't know what to ask. I'll teach you what to ask. This is what you should be asking. إِهْدِنَا السِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ not for money, not for fame, not for worldly pressures. The thing that needs to be asked is the greatest thing is Sirat Mustaqim, the straight path. So the dua that you make now is a dua taught by Allah to us, which is the greatest thing that we ask for the straight path. So we are taught by the king of the kings that to ask for the straight path. Next. So what is the straight path? Sirat Alladheena An'amta Alayhim. The path of those whom you bestowed your grace. You bestowed your grace. So from this we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Kitabullah, the book of Allah. But Allah did not just send the Kitabullah. With the Kitab, Allah sent what? Rijalullah, the men of Allah. The Kitab did not come without prophets, right? The Kitabs came with the prophets. Allah is qadir mutlaq. Allah has power over everything. He, if you wanted, Allah could have sent a book to each and every individual. Read the book. If you understand, then practice. If not, you'll be punished. No. Allah SWT send the book and Allah send a messenger to explain and people that we look up to. So we're making dua that, Oh Allah, give me the path of those whom you have blessed. So it means there are some people that Allah has blessed that we have to look and ponder. Who are these people? We're making this dua every single day and this dua is haq. So that means even in today's time we're going to get individuals. Sirat al-ladheena anamta alihim. They're going to exist in today's time as well. Unfortunately, we don't have trust on people. We don't have trust. So why should I listen to people? Why should I follow in so-and-so and take his advice? He is a person, I'm a person. I don't need to look at anyone. This is pride. 
This is pride. There is a system that we look at people that are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek our knowledge from them, we speak spirituality from them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Kitabullah and Rijalullah. So both are necessary. How do we know who the Rijalullah are? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the Whoever follows Allah and His Rasul, then these are the people. These will be with those people whom Allah has an'ama alayhim. So we say an'amta alayhim, right? That's the dua we mean in Surah Fatiha. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who are the people that I have blessed? An'amallahu alayhim minan nabiyyin, wassiddiqeen, wassuhada, wassalihin. Number one, nabiyyin. We have to look at the lives of the prophets. Study their lives and bring those into our lives. Nabiyyin. Wassiddiqeen, the truthful ones. Siddiqi Akbar. Look at the Khalifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Siddiqi Akbar. And shuhada, who is a shaheed? That person who gives his life for the sake of deen. Which group of people gave their lives for the sake of deen? The Sahaba. The Sahaba gave their lives. The entire life was work for deen. So the Sahaba was salihin and the righteous. And righteous people are into this time as well. So, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, Kunu ma'as sadiqeen. Be with those that are the truthful. So it's the command of Allah that we have to be with the Sadiqeen, right? So how are we supposed to fulfill this command? Allah SWT is not going to give us a command that cannot be fulfilled. That means Sadiqeen are going to exist in every era for us to fulfill that command. For, for that ayah to be fulfilled, they have to be Sadiqeen in every era. Or else how are we supposed to fulfill the command if there is no Sadiqeen? So that's why we have to study the lives of those that are pious and close to Allah SWT and bring those characteristics within us. Then we say that, but save us from which path? So we ask, dua, we ask dua to keep us on the path of the righteous, but don't make us follow the path of غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ alayhim. Not upon those whom your anger is upon. And according to Mufassirin and Nabi himself explained this, he said they are what? The Jews. The Jews were, they are from the children of the prophets. But because of their pride and because of disobedience, the ghadab, the anger of Allah came upon them. And do not make us from the astray people as well. Do not make us astray. Means the Christians, due to their over love and being too emotional, they went beyond the limits of Sharia. And they involved praising their Prophet so much that they ascribed him to be the son of Allah. So they were astray. So we make dua, do not make us follow these paths. So when we say it, mean it. Sometimes we are afraid that our dua might be accepted. You know, so غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ الضَّالِينَ Do not make us follow the path of the Christians and the Jews, but make us from the path of the Nabiyyin, وَالصِدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ So now, this just the Surah Fatiha, if a person just concentrate on it. So much meaning that you just got from one Surah. But if you're going to rush into it, How are you going to concentrate on this meaning if you're going to read like that? How are you going to concentrate on the meaning if you're going to recite in super spat, you know, fast pace? That's why... Especially when you're reading your salah separately. Take your time. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Go very easy, go very slowly. Next. So this is actually, don't go so fast. Okay. So the first one, this is a dialogue. In Sahih Muslim, in Sahih Muslim, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that when a person recites Surah Fatiha, then he is actually engaging in a dialogue with Allah. You are speaking with Allah and Allah is replying back to you, whether you hear it or not. But it's yaqeenan, if Nabi said it, then it's happening. So when a person says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, then Allah says, 
Hamidani Rabbi, my slave has praised me. We said, all praise is to Allah. Allah replies, SubhanAllah, my slave, he's praising me. Allah is replying back to you. Next, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, say, Athna alayya abdi, my slave has honored me. Maliki yawmiddin, majjadni abdi, Allah, he's saying that we have glorified. So Allah is saying that my slave has glorified me. So every time you're praising Allah, Allah's what? He's praising you, that you're doing all this. Even though Allah does not need to acknowledge it, right? But Allah's acknowledging it. Allah's acknowledging your Surah Fatiha. So every time you say one verse of Surah Fatiha, right away Allah answers. There's 10 people, Allah answers all 10. 100 people, Allah answers 100. Everyone, Allah has the ability to speak to all 7 billion people at the same time. So when a person, you have to have this yaqeen that I'm not just doing an ibadah. This is a dialogue with Allah. Now just in today's time to speak to the, you know, the minister or to speak to the president, you have huge lines and you got to take appointments, whole background checks, and if you're probably a Muslim, they won't even let you meet the president, you know? All these problems you're going to have, right? But now this is the king of kings. No appointment necessary. You don't have to go to the Majd Mutawalli and write, can I come at 2 o'clock to talk to my Allah? You don't need to take any permission from any mutawalli or any trustee of the masjid. You just come to the masjid without appointment, without any necessity. You just go and speak to Allah. And Allah is ready to speak to us. The question is, do we want to speak to Allah? Do we want to actually have a you know, conversation with Allah? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Allah is ready. So when we say, Maliki yawmiddin, he said, Rabbi. When you say that, oh Allah, only you I worship and only I seek help from you. Then he said, abdi. This is between me and my slave. This conversation is between me and my abdi ma sa'ala. And I will give my slave whatever he asks. Whatever he asks, because he's saying he's asking help from me, whatever he wants, I'm going to give him. So then what do we ask? I have granted you, O my servant, and I have granted you whatever you have asked. This is a Sahih narration from Sahih Muslim that every single time you have this conversation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replies this. <coughs> I think we're running low on time and there's a lot to explain, it's already 9.50, so if it's okay, I'll go a bit faster for the remainder of the slides, and we might delay the Isha Salah just by a bit. So then you have to read another surah, obviously you have to add another surah, so Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Now concentrate. Say that He is one, He is one Allah. Allahu Samad, Allah is Samad. Many people translate Samad as independent, that's not an accurate translation. Samad means Allah is independent, but everyone is dependent on Allah. It's a dual meaning in the word Samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He neither begot anyone, nor was he begotten. He has no children, nor was he born from someone else. Okay? He has been there forever. Walam yakullahu kufun ahad, and equal to him has never been anyone. This is pure Tawheed, pure oneness of Allah. Next. So then you'll go to Rukur. Now when a person goes to Rukur, it's a physical act. Now it's not just an act of bowing down. You're actually presenting yourself. You're so awed by the greatness of Allah that you're forced to just go into bowing. That's the type of thought you have. That you're so awed by the greatness and the wonder of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you automatically, not by choice, but by sheer greatness, you fall into the bowing position. This Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. Again, the word Subhan. Concentrate on the meaning of Subhana, I explained. Rabbi, 
you're recognizing my Lord is Allah, Rabbi, He is my Lord. Now this is something that we need to have a connection, that we need to recognize who Allah is, that Allah is my Lord. Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. Much more could be said, but quickly, next slide. And then when we come back up from the ruku, Sami'Allahu Liman Hamida. Allah has heard the one who praised him. Now when you say this, concentrate, that Allah has heard me. You know, you said Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, you're praising Allah. So when he says, Allahu liman hamida, you think, and then you're replying that Allah has heard the one who has praised Allah. So Allah has heard that, automatically you want to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more. So in the next, you say, Allahumma rabbana wa lakal hamd. Now there are four different ways of saying this. And all four of these words on Sahih Bukhari. All four of them come in different, different narration. You can say, Allahumma rabbana wa lakal hamd. You can say, Allahumma rabbana lakal hamd. You could say, rabbana lakal hamd. You could say, rabbana wa lakal hamd. All four are correct. But the more you words use, the more reward you're going to get. Okay? So the best one will be the first one. Allahumma rabbana wa lakal hamd. And there's more words. Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. So you could add to that as well. Now one thing is very important. It's called ta'adilul arkan. That you do every act properly. Means that when you go into ruku, be sure you come into ruku and you stop completely. This is necessary, is wajib. According to Imam Shafi, it is farad. If you don't do this, your salah doesn't count. Okay? So when a person goes into ruku, come to a full stop. That's called ta'adilul arkan. And when you come back up, come to a full stop. There's a narration, again, in Sahih Muslim and Bukhari, that a Sahabi was praying Salah, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi was sitting in the masjid, and when he was done, he came and said, he said, Salam to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, he said, Wa alaykum salam, he said, Farji, fasalli, fa'inna kalam tu salli, return, and pray again, because you did not pray. So SubhanAllah, he goes and prays again. He comes again, says Salam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, Farji, fasalli, fa'inna kalam tu salli, go back, pray again, because you did not pray. Third time he does it, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam send it back. And then he says, Oh Nabi of Allah, I don't know any other way of praying. You tell me. You teach me. The Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam then told him very, very beautifully that when you pray, when you pray salah, whatever you can recite from the Quran, recite. Then make ruku until you are completely stopped with itminan. Then when you come back up, then when you come back, stop until you completely stop. Then go into sazda. So that was the reason why Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi told him to go and pray again. So according to many of the fuqaha, your salah doesn't even count. So many people will find they say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu liman hamida, Allahu Akbar. They just make a, a one quick movement and they go straight into sazda. That is not permissible. Take your time. Next. Then in Sazda, Subhana Rabbil Ala, the beloved has got a taste. So when he was in Ruku', he got a taste of the proximity of Allah, he, a little bit of closeness. And then Allah pushes you back. You come back up. Like, no, I cannot handle I need to go back more. Now you go all the way down into Sazda. And one narration comes when a person makes Sazda, he is between the two feet of Rahman, the two feet of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Allah subhanahu ta'ala says when a person makes Sazda, he is the closest. The closest a person can be to Allah subhanahu ta'ala is while he is in prostration. So now you are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're speaking. Subhana rabbil ala, subhana rabbil ala, subhana rabbil ala. To stay to the length of one, that is farad. Because that's what defines a sasda. To say three times minimum, that is sunnah. But why do we want to suffice in minimum? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He gives us ni'mah, does He count and give it? One, two, three, here's your ni'mah. One, two, three, four, here's your ni'mah. Allah gives us ni'mah without counting. 
We can't count the names of Allah. So why is it that when we praise Allah, we count? One, two, three, okay, 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 okay. No. Spend time. Especially in Nawafil, Tahajjud. Speak to Allah. So don't limit, maximize it, and think that I am close to Allah. If you have that consciousness, you don't want to stop. You just want to carry on. Subhana Rabbil Ala. Subhana Rabbil Ala. Subhana. Think of the word Subhan. Think of Rabbi, my Lord. A'la, the greatest, the highest. And then you make the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pushes you back. He said, no, 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 I want one more. You go back into sasdah. They said that shaitan was accursed because he didn't make one sasdah. We're going to do two sasdahs. We're going to do two sasdahs. So this is the love that you have with Allah, that you're finding peace, and you just want to go into sasdah as quickly as you can. Next, as the person keeps looking forward to meeting his Lord, he's a, and this hadith I mentioned, and وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيكَ الْيَقِينَ Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as until the yaqeen, the certainty comes, and that is death. So a person should worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until the time of death. So a person, he keeps looking forward. Right? He goes in sazda, he wants to go back in sazda. He wants to spend more time in sazda. What? He wants to meet his Lord. If a person lives his life like that, then when he dies, he wants to meet his Lord as well. Right? He'll live a life as if he wants to meet his Lord. Next. That the shahud... The tashahud, there are many different wordings of tashahud. This is a tashahud that is recommended by the Hanifi Madhab, and this is also from a hadith. At-tihiyyadu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibat. As-salamu alayka ayyun nabiyu. Now we are about to exit out of the salah, right? So you want to say salam. So first, you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all types of monetarily and physical and all type of all type of verbal praises for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyu, O Nabi of Allah, salam be upon you as well. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and the mercy and the barakah of Allah. As-salamu alayna, then he said, we're, you know, because we want the benefit as well, right? So, salam upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we praise them, Nabi, so we put our name also in there. And peace be upon us as well. Salam upon, be upon. Wa salamu alayna, wa ala ibadillahi salihin. And then you give testimony. Oh Allah, I pray this salah. I am a believer. With, with, with firmness in my heart, Ashhadun la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadunna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. We bear testimony. Even in the salah, we bear testimony. Next, then he says, Salutation upon Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Salutation upon Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sunnah, but we should not miss that out. Definitely more reward. The best form of salutation is called Durud Ibrahim, the salutation of Ibrahimiyah, and that's the one that's on. But there are many different other wordings that are permissible as well. Okay? So you can read any Durud, but this is the recommended one. And then, after that, to read a supplication. Any supplication will suffice. But Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he went to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, teach me a dua that I can recite at the end of my salah. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught him this dua. Allahumma inni zhulamtu nafsi dhumman kathira, wa la yakfiru dhunuma illa anta. Faqfilli maqfiratan min indika wa rahamni inna kanta al-ghafurun. Subhanallah. You're finishing a great ibadat and you're saying what? I have oppressed myself. Oh Allah, I have oppressed myself. Why is he saying this? Because we have not worshipped how we're supposed to worship. We did not fulfill the haqq of salah. So even when salah is finishing, he's saying what? Oh Allah, I have oppressed myself, a great oppression, that I did not fulfill the right of the salah. Fuck Philly, please forgive me Allah. Please forgive me. Maqfiratam in indika, from your side you have to forgive me. Okay? Warhamni, and have mercy upon me. Innaka antal ghafuru. As you, you're the one who forgives. You're the one who grants mercy. So when salah finishes, a person with the crying, with a sorrow heart, he's, this communication with Allah is ending. And he's saying that I did not fulfill the right of Allah. Oh Allah, forgive me. Then he says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. 
The next slide. He says, Salam. When he's saying Salam, make intention of everyone that's on your right. When he says Salam, if the Imam is on your right, make intention of the Imam and even the angels and the pious jinn if they're praying with you as well. We don't know, but if they are, you say Salam to them as well. And also on the left, you say to everyone on your left. And then again, once you're done, what Nabi Sallallahu would do? He would say, Allahu Akbar, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. This is a sign of a true abd. A true slave is that person that when he finished an act, he feels like, I did not fulfill the right of the salah. So that's why the ulama say that what is a perfect salah? The perfect salah is that salah which you recognize that it's not perfect. Once you think that you read a perfect salah, then you're gone. That's the last. So once you start thinking that I have read the perfect salah, that's your downfall. Until you keep on having full yaqeen that I did not fulfill the right of the salah. And you keep on making astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Allah will give you more ability to improve your salah. Next. So the salah, you know, time is up now. Salah is extremely important. Now we're going to pray our Isha salah. Whatever we learn, let's not make it just entertainment for the ears, right? Let's bring it in. So just to quickly wrap, those that need to make wudu, inshallah they could go and make wudu. But just a quick wrap up that before, when you do wudu, one second. So when you do wudu, concentrate how you do wudu. Do not waste water. Think about those du'as that I mentioned in English. You could say it in English. If you not, just think about those du'as. So Allah grant me the book in my right hand, not in my left hand. Ya Allah, don't make my feet slip on the day of Qiyamah. So do wudu with that concentration. And then come to the masjid. Pray the sunnah qabliya, the sunnah before, two rakahs, concentrate. The way you say takbir, imagine you're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the imam is going to recite Surah Fatiha, concentrate on the meaning of Surah Fatiha. That what are we saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The, you know, the surah, concentrate. And if you do not understand what the imam is saying, just have yaqeen, this is the kalam of Allah. This is the kalam of Allah. I'm listening to the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then do your ruku sazda. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you an eye, the ability to practice upon what I've... What has been said, Wa Akhiru Dhan, Alhamdulillah.